It's good to be here. Wow. It's finally happened. It's finally happened. Never ever thought that it would be so soon that I would be the oldest person in the house. <laughs> There's two older gentlemen halfway and at the back. Uh, you know, I'm 64 on Wednesday. If I was in my own congregation, I would say I like Lynn chocolate, but you won't see me again. So, um, All sorts of strange things happen, hey Mac, when you get older. Your hair stops growing where you want it to grow and it starts growing where you don't want it to grow, you know? Out of your nostrils and out of your ears and uh, people say, just pull it out of your ears. I mean, (laughs) the old guys are laughing. (laughs) Just pull it out. I mean, those ear hairs are attached to your spinal cord. If you pull them out, you'll lose your motor skills for 30 seconds. <laughs> when, when I was here last, I, ca- I came during the holidays. It wasn't as full as it, what, is, what it is now. Um, Godfrey shared that evening, and he said, I just want to announce that we discovered this past week that Tumi and I are, are pregnant. Look, I'm a baby boomer. I don't know what millennials and Generation X and Y think these days, but baby boomers really believed that the wife was pregnant, not, not we're pregnant. Okay? You know, the, the wife is the one who has to carry the baby. The wife is the one who gets all out of shape. The wife has to give birth to this, this, this three, four kilogram uh, crying brat that comes out. I mean, you know, they say that childbirth is like climbing out of your car through your exhaust pipe. So... <laughs> And then she has to feed the child from her own body. I mean, seriously, we're pregnant? I mean, your contribution was 10 seconds, so shut up, you know? (laughs) We're pregnant, really. So we've been asked to share on, uh, for two weeks on Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. So I'm going to ask if we could just put that verse up. And tonight we're going to concentrate specifically on the apostolic, the apostolic teaching. And it's, it's an interesting thing because this is the first description of the early church. Remember on the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after the um, uh, atonement, after, after the uh, crucifixion, 50 days later, after the atonement, uh, the Holy Spirit fell and 3,000 people uh, had been uh, converted and come to the kingdom of God. And th- these three words were the first description. This is the embedded DNA of the church. First three words. They devoted themselves. Themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Those four things, and we're going to concentrate on those. Uh, Go back. Carry on. Sorry. Everyone 
was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who, as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They devoted themselves. And I guess 2,000 years later, those are probably the last three words that could describe the church. Devoted. Devoted. What does it mean? It means constantly committed to giving love and attention. Dedicated. Loyal. Consecrated. Concentrating on a particular purpose or cause. And the first one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So we didn't have the New Testament back then. So the New Testament is, is something that came uh, many hundreds of years later uh, during a, a, a conference that took place in the early church, and they put together the canon of the New Testament. But the apostles' teaching, that was based in Scripture. The apostles were with Jesus. They were chosen by God, and they were the ones that carried the good news, the gospel. But today we also have this... Josh Jen is an apostolic movement, and I'm so glad to be able to share tonight. The Edgemead congregation, the Edgemead team came and, and, and shared with us and ministered to us in, in worship. This morning at Somerset West, we uh, had a guy, Mike Fast, who came from the Musenberg congregation, and he's working with 412, and we had Monet and the team that came from Stellenbosch to minister. It's, it's just one big family ministering together with one. We're an apostolic movement. When, when we started the Stellenbosch Church nine and a half years ago, we were in that very beaten up and broken down hall called Van der Stel. And, I mean, it was ice cold in winter. I mean, this time of the year. I mean, during the holidays, you know, because this is a university town, during the holidays, uh, I remember the first winter we had 21 people in church. 21 people. I mean, I went home and I flopped on my bed and I just groaned. <laughs> Is there any purpose in this, Lord? But you just keep on persevering and keep on persisting. But with the apostolic teaches, teaching, and, and I mean, we, we're going to be encouraging you, and I'm going to be encouraging you, and I'm sure that you have had it from Leonard and some, from the other elders to try, try and get us to participate in the conference that's going to be taking place. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. Did I give you that verse? And by grace, God has given me, I laid a foundation of an expert builder. This is a, a, an apostle. An apostle lays the foundation as an expert builder, and somebody else is building it. But each one be careful, should be careful how he builds. The, the apostle comes, uh, the apostolic guys come and they lay a foundation and they teach you how to build, that you build with the right materials. But let's look at the next verse in Ephesians chapter 4. 
It is he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Just let's stop there. Joshua Generation Church is part of a 412 movement. And it is based on Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. And it's that verse. This is not the 411 movement. This is the 412 movement. That we as the body of Christ are participating. We've been equipped by the apostles and the pastors and the prophets and the teachers and the evangelists. We've been equipped so that you guys do the work of ministry. Huh? And that the body of Christ may be built up. Carry on. Until we all reach unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Just stop there. So that we attain unity. Unity of the faith. This is, this is something that is just so lacking. The apostolic guys come along and they teach us how to be together. This is an apostolic movement, and so we in unity. So you can come to Somerset West. Somerset West can come to Stellenbosch. Edgemead can come to Stellenbosch, and we can move around like that. There is a sense of unity, and I thank God for this unity that's taking place within this movement. I really do thank God. Psalm 133, I didn't give you that verse, says, Behold how good and how, how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And the verse tells us that God is going to pour out oil all on Aaron's beard, and the beard is going to flow down. You see, where there is unity, there is anointing that comes with that. You need to have unity in marriage. You need to have unity in family. You need to have unity in business and in church. And when there is that unity, there is blessing. Going back to Acts chapter 2, we see that when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, that passage, that Acts chapter 2 starts off, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were together in one place. They were together in one place. When Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, he said, our Father. Not my Father, our Father. In John chapter 17, Jesus is teaching and he's praying for the disciples. And five times, five times in that one chapter, he says, Father, may they be one. May they be one came across a whole bunch of verses. I'm going to read them now quickly. One another verses, which just emphasizes that we can't live this Christian life without one another. We need one another. We need one another to support us and to encourage us. So let me, let me read some of these verses to you. I've got 30 of them. Try and be as quick as possible. Love one another. Mutually depend on one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice with one another. Weep with one another. Have, have the same mind towards one another. Don't judge one another. Accept one another. Counsel one another. Greet one another. Wait for one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Forbear one another. Encourage one another. Build one another. 
stir one another, be hospitable to one another, minister gifts to one another, be clothed with humility towards one another. <laughs> I'm nearly finished. Don't speak evil against one another. Don't grumble against one another. Confess your faults to one another. Pray for one another. Fellowship with one another. These are one another's that cause us to live in relationship with one another. It's absolutely essential. It's essential that we, we need one another. Hmm? I, I want to live my Christian life by myself on a mountaintop. <laughs> Let's, let's carry on there. Go back to that previous verse. And the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Mm, mm, mm. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. Shall I give you that verse? This is, this is the verse that I base my life and my ministry on. This is my 41st year of ministry. Uh, we proclaim Him admonishing Okay, we proclaim him, that's Jesus. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect. Some passages or some translations say mature, mature in Christ. We long for you to be mature. One of the things that I said to the congregation in Somerset West a little while ago, I said, I want to sum up the Christian life. What is our purpose? Three words, preparing for eternity. That we might present you mature in Christ Jesus. And the apostolic really aligns us. One of the favorite words in Josh Chen is recalibrate. Recalibrate. Turning our attention once again. We go down this road. And the apostolic come. And they recalibrate us. And they recalibrate us. And that's apostolic teaching. And the next one is... In Acts chapter 2 and 42, fellowship. This is not just having suppers together. This is not just meeting together casually over a coffee. These, these, this is like soldiers getting together in trenches and fighting warfare. I mean, those hearts are constantly or forever intertwined with one another. And breaking bread. What does breaking bread do? I mean, we, we, we celebrate communion every now and again, maybe once a month here. And what, what, but really, Jesus says, I want you to do this. And I want you to do it often until I come back. What is he saying? He says, breaking bread. This is a command that I'm giving you. I want you to obey my commands. And then prayer. You know, we need to get together to pray. We need to realize that we can't do much. This is God's church. And we can't do much without actually giving it to Him. To ask Him to intervene. To ask Him to... If we try to do it in our own strength, this is going to be a big hamos. John Wesley, great Methodist preacher, said, God does nothing but in answer to prayer. Spend time in prayer. So, the apostolic comes and ministers to us. And all that God is left to do, if we're doing those four things, it's like the four tires on a motor car. When you go to the gas station, fill my tank, please pump my tires, check my tires. You don't pump one at 
38 psi and one at 10 psi and the car is totally lopsided and it goes around the corner and it's all wobbly. You make sure that those tires are all the same and all of them are the same. The apostolic, prayer, breaking of bread and fellowship, they all need to be emphasized. And when we begin to do that and we're devoted to those four things in the life and work of the church, all that God is left to do is just to add to that number. Wouldn't you, if you were God, add people to a church like that? That is the fountainhead. That is the DNA of the early church. And they thrived with devotion. It was, it was the thing that, that, that ran the church. It was the thing that drove the church. It was the engine of the church. You see, they, they came to the leaders. And they said to the leaders, don't worry about us. Really, we, we're going to be... Devoted all by ourselves. You see, what has transitioned so much during those times, or from that time to this time, is, is, is that you know, the leaders are the ones who are chasing you. The elders and the deacons are the ones. The comm leaders are phoning you up. and Where are you? What's going on? And that shouldn't be. They devoted themselves. So they said to the leaders, don't worry about us. We are as committed to this thing called the kingdom of God as what you are. We leave you, we release you to fulfill the vision that God has given to you. And you, you can go ahead and do that and we'll follow you no matter what. And 2,000 years later, a lot has changed. All the energy and the initiative has changed back. But this was the hidden gift that these people in the early church gave. One of the greatest days in my ministry was when I realized that I was responsible to my congregation, but I wasn't responsible for them. And these guys said, we release you. We release you. If we had to transport, if we could, a first century believer into the 21st century, I think they would be flabbergasted and shocked. There was a Baptist pastor in England who served his congregation for 20 years. And he started to go into depression. His wife was on tablets and she started to move into depression as well. And they were just struggling to get the church motivated, to get them encouraged and enthused about the things of the kingdom of God. And eventually he couldn't take it anymore. And he resigned. And he went into another job. And do you know what job he chose? He became a pub landlord. And he said, you know, my patrons, my customers, were all devoted by themselves. They never ever had to put on a presentation, a special presentation to attract people. In the pub, people came early. And they knocked on the door. Let me in, let me in. He said, never saw that in the church. They came late. And then at the end of the evening, he had to flash the lights and ring a bell. And tell them, this is the last round, guys, and then you must go home. But in the church, they were desperate to get out after the service and to go home. And he said he never saw that in the, the, the life and the work of the church. And that picture is taking place around the world. It's all over the place. You know, it's so difficult 
to do something for somebody that they're not prepared to do. I've been doing this for many years. And sometimes I sit in front of a married couple, and they, they, they're really crazy with one another, you know? And I'm like trying to get them to love one another and serve one another. And they sit there like wooden statues. Is that all you've got to give to us? I mean, I can't help them have a loving marriage if they themselves are not prepared to have a loving marriage. And it's the same with the life and work of the church. These people were devoted themselves. What kind of church do you want here in Somerset West? And you might only be here for a short season and then you go back to your own home. What kind of church? You take your commitment, your devotion, and you times that by 150, and then that's what kind of church you'll get. Are you devoted all by yourself? We need to realize that we need to turn people's attention to Him. We need to proclaim Him. Less of me, more of Him. He's the source. A man came to me one day when I was in Milneton. I was a Presbyterian minister for just under 13 years in Milneton. And look, I'm 64 on Wednesday. I like Lynn chocolate. But <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was cocky and arrogant and quick with my mouth back then. So this guy comes and he says, after the service, he says, are you the pastor here? I mean, I've just stood up and I've preached a message. So it's one of those days where you wish you weren't the pastor. Because just the tone of his, are you the pastor here? So I said, yeah, yeah, I'm the pastor here. <laughs> so he says, I've been coming here for three weeks. And my life is no different. And I'm only giving you one more week. And he started to unravel and tell me what's going on in his life. So he says to me, I'm 56. My wife has left me. I've lost my house. I'm bankrupt. And my children don't want to have anything to do with me. One of your members told me to come here and the church will sort you out. The church will sort you out. And so I'm only giving you one more week. I said, thanks, guy. Let me say goodbye to you right now because I want you to be relieved of the fact that I can't come up with something that you need to have. And I want to relieve myself from the responsibility of trying to think up something so that I can please you. So let's say goodbye to you right now. How cocky was that? Eh? <laughs> so he says, what do you mean? I said, this, how old are you? He says, 56. I said, it's taken you 56 years to have a broken marriage your children to leave you, bankrupt, and you've lost a house. It's taken you 56, and you're telling me you're only giving us one more week. Cheers. Or, or, for a year, you can go through some counseling. We can meet regularly. We can refer you to some of our counselors. We can, we can go through this process, and I, I'm telling you now, within a year, your life will be turned around if you do what we believe God is telling you to do. 
And I found out who was that person who said, go to the church, they'll sort your problems out. And I said, God is our source. God is the one who must draw our attention. We must proclaim Him and Him alone. He is our source. Plug into Him. He's the answer. Leaders are supplementary. Go to Him. You see, and you see, one of the things that the apostolic does, it, it, it kind of, we, we, backwards and forwards, to and fro, with our knowledge of God. One of the big things, and, I, and I'm sure that we've got this issue here in Stellenbosch as well, one of the big things is saved is always saved. You know, we, we say, yeah, that girl has got a strong testimony. She's really saved. You know that's wrong theological language to say really saved? Saved, in my understanding, is saved. But, but Rich, I, I, I didn't feel anything when I said that prayer and accepted Jesus into my heart. Yeah? It's God's responsibility to save you. It's not you. It's not to your feeling. If you want to feel something, go home, turn on the plug and stick your little finger in and you'll feel something. <laughs> but Rich, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't moved. I wasn't moved when I said that prayer. You want to be moved? Have some curry tonight and you'll have some movement. We've got this weird, weird understanding of theological. The apostolic guys come and they preach the Bible. Saved is saved. I've come, Jesus said, that you might have life and life abundantly. My wife had an aunt who was very much part of our lives when our children were growing up. She was a lovely, lovely lady, but she got quite ill and quite sick, and with a very short period of time, she just turned her face to the wall, and just one day, poof, she, we got a phone call that said, she's passed away. We couldn't breathe for Evie, Auntie Evie. We couldn't, she had to make that decision. I've come that you might have life and life abundantly. You have to make that decision about life. We can't give mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation to people who are not willing and wanting. Can't be their substitute. Can't be there for them all the time. They have to commit themselves to be devoted. You know, one of the worst phone calls that we get as leaders is on a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> Rich, what are we doing tonight at community? Like, really, that's a question that's loaded. Like, is it, is it important enough for me to come tonight? Because I don't want to come and just be bored, eh? I mean, instead of having an attitude of, I've come to give something, we go, what, what am I going to receive? And, and, and unless I say to them, look, Tim Keller, I don't know, you know who your favorite guy, Tim Keller, whoo. <laughs> Tim Keller is going to come and he's going to interview the archangel uh, Gabriel about his most recent uh, uh, um, interview with uh, Lucifer. If I, if, I don't, if I don't say something sparkling and on top of things, then, then he comes. Uh, he, won't, he won't come, first of all. And then if he does come, then he like, and it's not to, doesn't meet expectation. You, you, you lied to me. You deceived me. <laughs> I mean, one of the struggles that we have is that reluctance. Mm. 
I don't know if you were growing up and you heard the Hokey Pokey song. You know the Hokey Pokey song? <laughs> I'm going to sing it. I mean, I can't sing, eh? I mean, I'm not like some of these guys. My voice is just terrible. It's gravelly and it sounds like a man trapped in a grand piano falling down a lift shaft. It's just terrible. <laughs> but, but the Hokey Pokey. Put, put your right foot in, put your right foot out, put your right foot in and shake it all about. There we go. Do the hokey pokey and turn around. That's what it's all about. I mean, yeah. oops. That's what, it, what happens when you sing the hokey pokey song. But, but Christians are singing that same kind of song. Yeah, I'm in. I mean, you can count on me. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm there. You can see me. I'm, I'm not there. I love you. I love you. No, I'm not. I don't love you. I'm with you. No, I'm not with you. It's a hokey pokey song. And come on, guys. What leaders have to deal with in terms of reluctance is just so much effort. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says, to those who believed in him, who received him, he gave the power to become children of God. He gave the power to become everything that God wants you to become. They devoted themselves. So every sermon has to answer three questions. What? So what? Now what? So I want to say to you, now what? Submit yourselves to apostolic. We've got a camp coming up, a conference. It's from the 5th to the 7th of October. It's going to be a wonderful time. It's going to be a time where we are going to realign ourselves. It's a time of edification. It's a time of equipping. It's a time of impartation. It's a time of encouragement. It's a time of transformation. It's not just a whole bunch of Christian TED Talks where you pull out your favorite message that the guy has done over the last year. This is a time that is focused on realigning you. And people's lives have been touched and changed. I want to say to you, yes, you've got exams coming up. Study hard before. Take those three days, three and a half days, or two and a half days, and, and really make every effort to come and to be a part of that. For those of you who are working, take unpaid leave if necessary, but take some leave. I'm sure you've got some leave. It's only halfway through the year right now, so take it back, back then. And take time and go and participate. I want to see change. I'm sure you want to see change as well. There are stagnant churches across the world, and believers who have struggled with the same sin, have not found victory. I, I want to say to you, let's find victory for these people. You know, moms and dads and families, I, I want to see them come to life, spiritual life. I want to see churches uh, being raised up and becoming absolutely fantastic to change the world. I want to see uh, uh, stuff happening in terms of spiritual, where God pours out His Spirit in the most incredible way. You know, when you consider Christianity, what is Christianity? Christianity is a man who was a carpenter who died on a cross as a common criminal, but something supernatural happened and he was risen from the dead. That's abnormal. It's abnormal thinking that. But it is the gospel. 
Jesus Christ died for us. He rose again to reveal that there is life beyond death. That there is eternity for us. And the book of Acts and the Gospels always, always show that Christianity strives when, as Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, said, it is a sign of contradiction. We need to oppose. We need to be a contradiction to society. We need to be a contradiction to culture. Christianity is not a golden pass for a successful, prosperous, comfortable life. It's an invitation for you to pick up your cross and to follow Him. And Christians should be giving themselves with love and sacrifice to advance the kingdom of God. C.S. Lewis said, the great Christian writer, he said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew that a bottle of port would do that. If you, want to, if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly wouldn't recommend Christianity. Mm. I've been in ministry 41 years. Started Somerset West 2017. Started Stellenbosch nine and a half years ago, five and a half years ago, we started Somerset West. I have a regret, and this is my regret, that I placed the bar too low in order to attract people to say, come, come to Jesus, and place the bar too low. I want to say to you young guys, raise the bar. Raise the bar and say, it, 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 it's, it's tough to follow Jesus, but it's worth it. It's worth it. If people have come and they've not joined us, and I'm thinking, why? Because the bar wasn't high enough. Sad. It's humiliating. But Christianity today, Christians today want discomfort, more sacrifice, more zeal, more ownership, more giving, more serving, more impact. Not because they want more pain or difficulty in their lives, but because they are devoted and they are prepared to endure. Endure things for the kingdom of God. When you young people hear this, I want you to clearly hear the call of Jesus to lose your life for his sake. You don't come here just to simply do church. We are the church. We're filled with the Spirit of God. God wants to do things that we can't even imagine. We don't come to church maybe to find out ways how do we can help the homeless people. We want to we clap that thing to hell and gone because there are 25,000 homeless children in South Africa tonight. In this cold weather, they're going to bed. I don't know. They're not, they haven't even got a bed. 25,000. There are 8 million children in Africa that are homeless. We, we need not to find ways of how to help one or two homeless people. We need to find ways how to clap this thing called homelessness. We don't want to give needy people leftover canned goods. We want to blow that system right out of the water. And we can only do that when we really devote ourselves to Jesus. Follow him. Devote yourselves to him. He is worthy.
He's an awesome God. Let's pray. As we bow in prayer tonight, I just want to ask for you to respond and just to say, today I choose, Lord, to be devoted to you. It costs something to follow him. And often, it's everything that we have. But I want to assure you, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. We devote ourselves to you tonight, Lord. We don't want the elders, the leaders, to come chasing us, to motivate us, to nag us, to coerce us. We, do, we choose life, Lord. We choose life. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.